today my guest is Hugh Byrne. Now Hugh Byrne is an expert and author in the field of mindfulness and positive habit change. He's a senior teacher with the Insight Meditation Community of Washington and Garrison Institute's contemplative-based resilience for humanitarian aid workers responding to refugee crises across the Middle East. Hugh's mindfulness and meditation offerings are driven by the vision of helping people shift from autopilot towards behaviors that create greater happiness and freedom of the heart. Hugh has been practicing teaching and guiding trainings, workshops, and intensive retreats for two decades now within the US and internationally. Hugh is trained in and teaches mindfulness-based stress reduction and mind-body somatic experiencing approach to healing. Hugh also has a law degree from London University and a PhD from UCLA and worked for more than two decades in the field of human rights and social justice. Hugh is the author of The Here and Now Habit, which he wrote in 2016, and Habit Swap, Trading Your Unhealthy Habits for Mindful Ones, which is released now in April, as I'm recording this, actually. Uh, I first met Hugh, uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago. I think it was when The Here and Now Habit came out. Um, Obviously, uh, I want to promote his new book, Habit Swap, uh, Trade Your Unhealthy Habits for Mindful Ones. But I haven't actually read it myself yet. I'm going to uh, be reading it shortly. But The Here and Now Habit uh, is, um, is a really, really great book. It's a fantastic book on how habit change and mindfulness uh, incorporate. Uh, lots and lots of really amazing practical um, uh meditations and mindfulness practices in the guide as well so it's a fantastic book so please read it and and check out his uh, website and stuff i'll we'll put them in the show notes now the reason i got you on is you know when you think about the world of professional poker and how as a poker player if it's your profession you know you want to excel and get better and better and better and be the best poker player that you can be then as I discuss in my interview with you, I really believe that there's the um, need to improve your technical game and, and the way that people at the, the top level now are improving their technical game around solvers and all that kind of stuff has changed dramatically over the years, right? And people are studying a lot more than they actually are playing. You know, interviewing Brian Rass recently, Brian said back in the day, it was just play, 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 a little bit of study. And now it's like study, 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 and play. So there's the technical aspect that we need to get better at and better at and better at. So we're always making those right decisions. But I also believe that there's a big mindset element here, not just on the tables, but off the tables, because it is really hugely important that we come to the game to play with our life as tip top as we can make it and how we are, you know, relating with our family, with our friends, how we're dealing with um, uh, adversity off the tables is really going to help us to get into the zone more and be more mindful and be more with it and to be more healthy of mind and healthy of body and healthy of spirit when we sit down to play. So I got Hugh on to talk about that a little bit and I plan to get more and more mindfulness coaches and meditation coaches on because I really do think that if you are not meditating right now and you want to improve your poor game, it's probably the easiest, quickest way that you can do it, right? Probably because we all have the ability to meditate right now. We don't need any tools. We don't need anything. We just need to be out there with alone on a chair, just doing it, all right? So I am going to leave you in the capable hands of Hugh Byrne, and I hope you really enjoy it. Welcome to the show, Hugh Byrne. How's life? Life is excellent. Um, I, you know, personally, we're, uh, we're doing really well. Obviously, deeply concerned about what's going on all around us and how so many people are suffering right now. So I'm kind of balancing those two things. I'm doing my health is, work, is good. You know, the situation is good with myself and my partner and family. Um, but yeah, everything around us, it's really a, a very challenging time we're living in. So holding both of those things, really. Mm. And for people listening, where are you in the world? Um, just outside of Washington, D.C. in Silver Spring, Maryland. So, oh, uh, so you, you is the, the original epicenter of uh, the big problem in America, right? I mean, which problem are you thinking about? <laughs> <laughs> the problem! <laughs> Well, that one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right there, right in the middle of that. 
I mean, like, I mean, on on that, I mean, I, I guess for me, like my rational and logic, like I help a, a lot of people quit alcohol and a lot of people are drinking alcohol at the moment. Right. But my rational and logical uh, mindset kind of kicks in. It's like, this is the time to be mindful. This is the time to um, be able to separate yourself from being aware of what is going on in the world and protecting yourself, but not getting too interested in it, that it's driving you into uh, a, a state of catastrophic worry. So but let's start by saying like, what is mindfulness? And especially discuss uh, the three elements of intention, attention and attitude, if you could. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mindfulness has been around for thousands of years, you know, kind of coming out of the Buddhist tradition, 2,500 years, you know, and it can be shared in, in those more religious ways or in very secular ways, you know, where there's certainly no adherence to any beliefs um, or particular views. So mindfulness is really present moment awareness of what's going on, of our own experience and what's going on, what's coming in through our senses. So um, awareness of our experience without judgment is, is how it's often defined. Because we're, like if I'm paying attention to my experience right now as we're talking, I might feel like I'm feeling really tight in my stomach for some reason, you know, I may, may have a, a, a kind of pain. And I, it's very easy to think of that as, oh, I don't like that. I've got to get, get rid of it in some way. And mindfulness is just awareness. Like, oh, I'm noticing right now I've got a lot of tension or tightness in my belly or whatever it might be, or I'm feeling really hot right now, rather than thinking, oh, I'm, I'm feeling really horrible and I've got to change this right away. I say, oh, noticing that. I wonder what that's about. Or, you know, maybe I could turn the heat down or whatever, you know, but it's, being aware of our experience without judging it, just simply, you know, aware in a kind of kind and non-judging way. So it has these, it has these three, you mentioned these three qualities to it. The first is intention. When we're being mindful, we are actually intentionally being present because if we're not paying attention, typically we're just off to the races you know we're planning the future we're worrying about the, the future we're thinking about the past we're daydreaming we're somewhere else you know a lot of the time and mindfulness is just it's not judging that it's just noticing when we're somewhere else and saying oh can i just be here right now so intentionally consciously being present is the first thing the second is attention it's like, where am I putting my focus? Like when we're, as we're talking to each other right now, presumably both of us are paying attention. I'm listening carefully to what you're saying. You're listening carefully to what I'm, my, I'm how I'm responding, what I'm saying. Um, so it's, we're really paying attention. So if I'm, if I'm here with you, hopefully I'm being here with you in a mindful way. I'm attentive to what I'm saying and to my experience. So it's this, um, the, the guy who wrote the books about flow states, you, you're probably familiar with those. I like the way you said the guy and didn't try to say his name. <laughs> exactly. Was well, it I can say his uh, name. You have to learn how to say his name. She, she, um, Chick sent me high. Chick sent me high. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, if I had to spell it, I'd say C-Z-S-I-S. <laughs> anyway, me high, Chick sent me high. Hungarian-American. Um, he uses, he talks about um, attention as psychic energy. And I really like that notion of like, when we're paying attention, we're putting our psychic energy into it. Now, right now, I'm putting the energy of my spirit or my psyche into this interview that we're doing together. So I'm paying attention. So mindfulness is about how we use our attention, you know, being choosing to be here now rather than being off somewhere else. And when we are off somewhere else, choosing to bring our attention back in a kind and non-judging way. So that's the, uh, another key aspect, intention, attention. And the third is attitude. You know, I'm not doing this hopefully in a tight, tense, I've got to get somewhere kind of way. That's not going to be very helpful. Mm. So the attitude is, can I be here in a kind way, in an accepting way, accepting that what's here is here right now. Maybe it's something I can change and I can, if it's appropriate to change it, I can change it. But often there are things that happen that we can't change. 
And if we fight against those, then we really get into trouble. You know, I, I wish this wasn't the case. I wish that we didn't have this particular president, hypothetically, you know, mm -hmm. if you get into like, well, yes, you might want things to be different, but getting caught up in wishing things were different isn't all that helpful. The best place to start is to say, okay, I'm just noticing that I'm wanting things to be different. And, and, and then I can say, okay, what do I do about that? You know, maybe I do something helpful, you know, to change that situation, but not to kind of spin out, you know, I don't like it, I don't want it, etc. So what's the attitude I'm bringing to my experience? So I think of it as helpful to look at mindfulness in terms of this consciously paying attention in a kind and a non-judging way or in, a, in, a, in an accepting way. So those three qualities. That, this sounds to me that those three qualities are really important when it comes to playing high stakes poker or any form of poker, certainly professionally when you when it's your career, uh, yeah. because if if you are wanting the result to be different, if you're saying I need to win this hand or I need the deck to give me this card, what I'm thinking here with these three uh, real kind of like base foundations of intention, attention, attitude. If one of them is a ride, I, I guess it, it, it destabilizes the other two. So if you're playing poker and, and you, you're not set your intention to, to uh, go at this game uh, in, in a mindful way, or you're not paying attention in the right way, or your attitude goes skewed because of emotions, uh, the other two are going to be destabilized as well. Is that right? I would, I would definitely think so. I'm not a high stakes um, poker player. And <laughs> like, you know, I've certainly played cards before and, you know, it's kind of brought a serious attitude to it. And it seems to me that if you go into that with an intention, you know, I've got to win X amount of money, you know, and kind of, you're really kind of holding tight to that. That doesn't seem like a very helpful intention. Mm. You know, I would think you know, in any situation like that, to be as balanced as you can be, you know, if you're, if you're having to have a result, obviously you're going to be very unhappy if you don't get that result. So can you meet the ups and downs in a kind of balanced way? And that's very much part of this practice of mindfulness. The word often used is equanimity. Mm. You know, equanimity just means balance. If you're a poker player, I imagine, and every time you, you know, you get a bad hand or you put a lot of money in, you get a bad hand, you kind of fall apart. You're not going to be a very successful player, I don't think. You know, you've got to be able to kind of run with the ups and the downs. And again, I'm, I'm kind of positing that, I'm, I'm reflecting that. Mm. So these qualities, I think, if, you know, if you were to, if I were to think about, okay, I'm going to play, try and play in a serious way, I would want these qualities of, of mindfulness. And as you say, if, if the intention isn't right, it is going to affect, I think it's going to affect your attention. It's going to affect the way you approach what you're doing. And, and in the other ways as well, if your attention's not present, well, that's not going to be very helpful. Like, oh, what have I done? Has that card passed, you know, mm. before, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I would think these qualities, I mean, you know, I, I think it's, it was said 2,500 years ago by the Buddha that mindfulness is a, it's a kind of a universally helpful quality. You know, whatever you do, if you can do it in this way, in a, in a balanced, non-judging, attentive way, it's going to be helpful to you. Yeah, yeah. I, I recently <clears throat> questioned around 50 poker players to mm. ask them, to share with me their meditative and mindfulness practice so I could kind of understand what was going on. And it was interesting how a lot of poker players said, oh, I don't have a mindfulness practice, right? So, so, so you know, they're, they're very aware, you know, high six poker players, you know, no, I don't have a mindfulness practice. Not all of them, but a, a good, good portion of them. But when you think about, um, uh, the, the work from the, the guy with the long name who wrote yeah. Flow. <laughs> so <laughs> these poker players who say that they don't have a mindfulness right. practice, they obviously get into flow states when they're playing, not all the time, but on occasion. Um, so they are, actually, they are actually using a mindfulness practice when they're playing poker. And it would be good to be aware of that because, of course, I, I imagine um, 
getting it, understanding your flow states and learning what the what environments and what dynamics have to be in play in order to um, accentuate the possibility that a flow state might occur are really important. One and two, then if you can replicate that flow state in life now as a human being away from a poker table in your relationships and, and in your interactions with people now now if you can bring that flow state into there now you're kind of like improving your game off the table as well right yeah it's a it's a it's a tricky thing i say tricky because you know the irony is with flow states the more you if you manipulate them at all they're not flow states anymore right. You know, right. so if your head gets in, you know, we know that with, with tennis players, really, you know, high level tennis players, how they can really be in the flow of things and something kind of gets out of kilter. And, you know, they talk about it, you know, Federer and these people, you know, how, you know, and, and, and I don't know if it even happens with him, but I've heard other tennis players and, you know, successful players, golfers as well, you yeah. know, kind of when the head gets in, in that's when they screw up the shot that's mm. when the putt doesn't go where it's supposed to go so so it's really letting go it's really letting go of any manipulation that really allows that so i think that i think the best way i would see it and it's a wonderful reflection i think the best way i would see it is just kind of in a gentle way kind of help create the conditions that allow something to happen and then kind of get out of the way, you know, and that's yeah. what I think yeah. 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 it's really yeah. about. It's, it's, it's like testing those, too. Yeah. it's like testing those manipulations. How far can I go before yeah. it affects my flow state, you know, and then, and then peeling back a little bit. And so, you know, so like before I go into the game, I'm going to meditate or I'm going to have a calmness. Um, I, you know, I, I, I do really well in certain invites, especially if you play poker at home. Like my environment has to be a certain way. I like you might hear my daughter downstairs shouting and screaming because we're all stuck in the same house. That <laughs> might that might not be conducive to a flow state if you're playing online poker. So I I think you're right. I think once the, the, the thought gets in there that you are manipulating, it could be a problem. But I still think from a professional aspect, you can play around with that. So I mean, me I got to know you through reading the Here and Now Habit. Right. Uh, you've got a new book out which I haven't read yet, but I'm I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to read. And in the here and now habit, you know, what I liked about it was obviously I was in the habit change business. I'm trying to get people to stop drinking alcohol, for example. And yeah. you were using mindfulness, um, like entwining mindfulness with habit change. So um, why, why is mindfulness so important when it comes to changing a habit, either creating a good habit or getting rid of a bad habit? It's a really wonderful question. It's really the key question, I think. Um, you know, the, you have to step back to think about what habits are and what the science, what the research shows us is that habits are behaviors that can include thinking behaviors as well as actions. Behaviors that have come, become automatic and unconscious through repetition. So I'd like to give the example of putting a seatbelt on when you get in a car, you know, a good habit, a healthy habit, one we'd want everybody to kind of have. You know, at first it's intentional, isn't it? We kind of, you know, your mother, your father, if you, you know, your parents drove when you're a kid, um, you know, put your seatbelt on, make sure we're not going anywhere until you put, and then it becomes after a while, you know, the way the brain works is it wants to simplify things. And so, it simplifies things by, you know, when you get in the car, the context getting in the car triggers the brain to say, oh, seatbelt, oh, mm. seatbelt. So after a while, it becomes second nature. I never get in a car now to drive or as a passenger without doing it. I mean, it's just become second nature. So that's a, a pretty good example of a habit and a healthy and a good habit. Now, we get in trouble when with habits that develop in exactly the same way as you know well, that mm. aren't healthy. They give us a good feeling at first, perhaps, but they don't really, uh, they're not for our long-term benefit, mm. you know, or if done in unconscious, unaware ways, can really get us into trouble, as you well know. So this is what happens with any behavior, really, we get that, that we repeat often enough it becomes automatic and unconscious. This is the kind of the quality. And it becomes, by definition, 
not intentional, you know, or the intention is a very, very small part of it. It may be kind of part of the process leading up to it, but the habit itself is not an intentional thing. It's really an unconscious. It's triggered by context, by situation, like the getting in the car or like being around a place where you've drunk a lot before or taken drugs or whatever. So that kind of situation. So the context set really you know, sets us off on the habits. With the good ones, we don't need to worry about them, we, brushing our teeth, seatbelts. But the ones that don't serve us, that don't work for our well-being, we want to take a look at those. Mm. And why mindfulness, this gets at the nub of your question, why mindfulness is key, the way it's key, is it's like a spotlight. It kind of takes this unconscious behavior and it like brings a spotlight down onto it and says, oh, this is what I'm doing. This is when I'm doing it. This is the condition under, under which I'm doing it. And when we really pay attention to that overall context, the feelings that are coming up when we, when we go towards that habit, then we can start kind of unpeeling, untangling ourselves from that habit. Then we can bring it into the light of awareness. I like to talk about it as making the unconscious conscious. Mm. Mindfulness is like the, it, it making what is, you know, what's become invisible. It's almost like it's gone behind a screen back here and it's kind of pulling back the screens. Oh, okay. This, I do this under these situations when I'm with these people, when I'm with this situation. These are the feelings I'm having at the time. Okay. Now I can pay more attention when any of those situations are present, you know, when the thing that kind of be, is the trigger for me to do that. I can say, okay, now let me really pay attention here. Let this context be the warning sign of like, oh, this is where I normally do this. This is where I get angry with my partner, for example, when there's a certain kind of response or certain kind of tone to a voice or something like, oh, I've got to pause here and pay attention. And it's mindfulness gives us, you know, what Viktor Frankl, the great psychologist, called the space between stimulus and response. Yeah, I use that one. You no, know, remember that? That they're, they're yeah. kind of like, if you can pause be before just going straight from stimulus to response, if you can just kind of pause, like almost like pausing, you know, a recording on your, on your VCR, on your TV, whatever, you know, you pause there and then you have a little bit of space and you say, okay. I can make another choice. I can make a different choice than the ones that the one that isn't helping me. That's really the way I see mindfulness as being key to making change of the kind. Of Let me ask you a question on that then, because um, I, I, I work at live poker tournaments with a lot of high stakes poker players. And I noticed recently that more of them are smoking, which I find, mm -hmm. I, which, which, you know, if any, you're never going to get more rational and logical people than than high stakes poker players. And to see them smoking, you, you really do realize that you know rationality and logic goes well out the window. But I, <laughs> but I'm I'm thinking about mindfulness, uh, and and obviously the habit of smoking is a habit, and it's a habit that you know in general you, you wouldn't really want to have. So I think what's happening is they're playing poker, and then there's a break, and as the break is coming up. They must be thinking about smoking, which would take them away from the hand of the plane or whatever. And then it's like they just they just automatically go into the side and then they're having a cigarette or they're going outside and having a cigarette. So when it comes to what you're talking about, mindfulness and habit, isn't there another aspect that comes before the mindfulness practice, yeah. which is almost like a vow to make to make a different choice about yeah. smoking? Yeah. So yeah. because if, they're just, if you're just mindful, for example, and you haven't made a decision to smoke, then, then it, 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 nothing changes, right? You still have to make that decision to make a change and then use mindfulness almost like a t as a tool. Yeah, you've got to have, I, and we talked a little when, when I was talking about a kind of a definition of mindfulness, the, the idea of intention. Mm. Yeah, in order to change a, a habit we, we, you know, that we feel isn't working for us, we have to have that intention. I mean, that's really the kind of ground. And so um, I'm not in any way suggesting that somebody, say in this situation, a poker player who's, um, you know, has taken on the habit of smoking, um, I think that person, it's not going to, 
typically it's not going to work that somehow, you know, in the middle of a game, they're going to, if they've been smoking a lot, they're just going to say, oh, well, you know, I can just let go of that. What's happened is, you know, they've somehow made a choice or somewhere they've made a choice to say, I'm going to, here's what I'm assuming for, let me just step back from it. Here's what I'm assuming is that they're, they're feeling some kind of stress. You know, they're feeling the stress from the, you know, the, 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 the tension around the, the game and yeah. the, 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 the poker game. And, um, and this is in some way providing them relief. You know, perhaps as you're saying, knowing that in 10 minutes after this hand or after this round or whatever, they're going to be able to have a, have a cigarette that that gives them, that keeps them calm enough. So in some way, they've made a choice, I think, to take on what we all know is a very unhealthy habit in terms of our overall well-being, to pay that price in order to not have to deal with the stress that they must be feeling. Because it's in some way, I have to assume that it's a way of dealing with something. You know, that's a, a big reason people tend to smoke is to deal with stress and worry, you know. Um, you know, or, you know, some people smoke just because, well, they've been doing it for so long, it's just part of it's their life. It's just you know? become a ha ab habit, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, I've seen, it, it doesn't happen so much now because you, it's not, not all environments allow you to smoke, but I've seen final table where, where people are on the final table playing for like so much money yeah. and they, and we're in an environment where you can smoke just literally just next to the table, right in the bar, and they're, they're playing and they're running away and smoking and playing, and they're running away and smoking. Mm -hmm. And for me, that, that is the opposite definition of mindfulness because you, you, you must be thinking about somewhere along the line, you must be thinking, I need another hit. I need another hit, which means then you're not focusing on the game. So I don't see that so much in high stakes now because they wait until the break to go and do it. Um, but I, I, I do think, uh, you know, like I have seen that before in the past. So yeah, I just, it is interesting. You do need to have, like you said earlier on the, the intention, the attention and the attitude, you know, whilst we're, um, being mindful or having a mindfulness practice or we're in, the, we're in the midst of it, but you also need it outside of that mindfulness practice in order for you to even set the attention to have a mindfulness practice, you know? Yeah, so exactly. it's like those three exactly. things are bigger. And one other piece of this is that, you know, there's, there's the stress of, um, you know, in, I think for practically any player, I assume there's going to be some level yeah. of stress in a situation, particularly in a, kind of final kind of game or the stakes are very high. Um, the question is, you know, are there better ways? Are there more helpful ways of dealing with that stress than mm. the cig, you know, the cigarette? I mean, uh, you know, is it possible through practices of, of, you know, working mindfully with stress, you know, other times as well of just how would it be to, just stay with those feelings and be aware of them while you're paying attention to the game. You know, obviously you're paying attention um, to, you know, the cards and, you know, what somebody else has played or whatever, the dealer or whatever. But can you, can you hold that, that, that stress, you know, in the way that somebody who's giving a presentation or a talk, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be, if they're to be effective, I think, I think as effective as possible, they want to be very present in mm -hmm. what they're saying and what they're sharing and how it's landing to the people in the room and, you know, how people receiving it also how they're feeling in their body. So the more kind of embodied we are and the more present we are, I would think that that would be a, a more effective way if you can do it of playing to say nothing of the health consequences, you know, you might win $10 million, but if you've got lung cancer, you know, from smoking 20 cigarettes a day, then, you know, that doesn't seem like a, a great a good uh, trade off. I mean, what, what I, what I think about when you, when you talk about that, is it, I'm slipping to meditation a little bit is, um, people, some people who've been practicing meditation for decades, 
they don't say I meditate. They say I'm a meditator. So, so what I'm thinking about here in this, what you're talking about mindfulness, of course, there will be, there will be other ways to handle stress that are healthier than other ways of handling stress. In this case, smoking could be drinking as well. You know, is another one or taking drugs or, or whatever, you know, uh, they are there, but then that, 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 brings up a question to me of, you know, there's, there's a way to use mindfulness in order to switch it on. So it's like game time, I'm going to be mindful today. But there's also, I'm a mindful person, which means that in your life, your lifestyle is conducive to working with people like yourself, working with nutritional experts, health and wellness, because you're mindful. And then because you're mindful, you're going to question things like, well, hang on a minute, why am I smoking and could I use, but if you're not mindful in that holistic sense away from the public table, then it's less likely that you're going to stumble across these bad habits and want to do anything about them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think I don't, I, I, I don't think about mindfulness as, as a tool to get something, you know, to win a game or to win a series or win whatever. Um, you know, can mindfulness be helpful in that context? Yes, I, you know, I think it, in any context it can be helpful if the intention is a good one. You know, I don't think mindfulness, you know, some parts of mindfulness could be useful for, um, for doing something harmful. You know, attention can be used in, in a variety of different ways. But mindfulness, as I, as I understand and practice mindfulness, has to be you know, has to be motivated by, um, by wholesome, good intentions. Mm. You know, if I want to harm somebody and hurt somebody, that isn't mindfulness or it isn't appropriate mindfulness. It's not right mindfulness is sometimes the term used. So it's not mindfulness wi wisely used. It's something completely different. So if you were just asking me about paying attention well yeah i could say things about paying attention but with my you know cultivating mindfulness is really a way of being in a, in the world in our life you know as you were saying you know how am i you know it would be i think it would be a meaningless thing really if you were the most successful poker player or tennis player or anybody anything else if you went home and you know treated your wife or your spouse or your partner or children badly or anybody else badly. That, that's not what this is about. It's about a way of being in the world where you, you live with greater freedom and greater ease. And in doing that, it's open, you know, you can do all sorts of different things, I think, in ways that are helpful and and do them more in a more perhaps focused way a more present way um but i never think of it as a tool for something else a tool mm. for making money yeah a tool for the bottom line or whatever it it really has to be something that's mean of, of value and a meaning in terms of one's life and one's being and i think that's really what you're getting at with your question. well i guess i guess it, uh, uh I'm, I'm thinking about there while you talk while, while you're talking well be it being less mindful as i'm thinking about something else while you're talking to me is um you know i guess the, the question is, like we're not obviously we can't we can we can say that i'm a mindful person but we need to accept that there are times where we're not going to be mindful so we can't be mindful 100 percent of the time but and and i guess we can still have bad habits and and be mindful right if that's the question so can you can you be like you're you're you you write the book on this thing so i i imagine that you are mindful a lot of the times and, it, and it's a big part of who you are yeah. um but if you suddenly developed a, a punch a penchant for like some wine or something and and, and, a, and, a, and a sniff on your pipe every now and then now you're incorporating a bad habit into your life but you can still be mindful. I mean, how, like I'm getting a little bit confused around that, like the blurry edges around that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we, we, we can come from different places on this. I, um, I drink wine, but I drink, I, and I do it in a conscious way. I'm very aware. I will typically have, you know, I mean, I go through a long periods without drinking, but if, I, if it's a period of time that I'm kind of feeling like, you know, a glass of wine. I like, I like to have a glass of wine. I'll have one glass of wine. Occasionally I'll have, you know, one and a half or two, you know, if I'm out with friends or something, I mm. might do that. 
but it's not a problem for me and and i don't feel good if i've had more than that you know right. i feel physically don't feel good but I, I i feel that it you know for me and i know it's not the same for everybody particularly those in in recovery but that's where i am and i try and do it in a conscious way um you know in terms of other substances you know i i, I use those occasionally in a in a kind of in a spiritual way i think of it as as really being aware of my consciousness when i'm doing it i'm not doing it to get out of my head and kind of you know be You're talking about like a hallucinogenic sort and things like that you know with with i haven't done those in in some significant time but those i think can be used in and and there's a lot of use some some really interesting research going on. I don't know if you're familiar with Michael Pollan's book, Change Your Mind. Uh, and I've, guy, read, I've read his books before and I'm aware of that one, but I haven't read it yeah. I think it's an outstanding book. And it's really about, about using those substances, psychedelics, in a, in a very conscious way, in a more spiritual way. And the benefits for people like with cancer or who are dying or... And, and in fact, in, in, in terms of um, alcoholism, they've done some, some research and, and, and had some very, very good results. So those substances used in, in healthy and conscious ways, I'm, I'm, I'm very much, for myself personally, I'm not making any statement about other people, but for myself, I'm, I feel comfortable and balanced with that um, but there are things there are times when I, I you know I have got I do get into habit patterns where you know it, it's just a thing I see I'm doing something all the time and it's it's become unconscious it doesn't tend to be terrible things it's not going to be things that I'm ruining my life but I'm feeling a little bit dependent on them you know oh yeah. end of the evening I used to do this thing uh, where I'd, I'd have some ice cream and it, was, it wasn't a lot, you know, kind of a Ben and Jerry's, Cherry Garcia, maybe those small. I can, see, I can see you salivating as you're talking about it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I'd also have a very, very small glass at, at that time of, uh, of strong beer, Dogfish Head 90, it was called, very strong. And I'd watch at the late night evening shows and it was a nice release at the end of the day and i never had a big bucket of ice cream and i never had a big gla glass of beer but uh, but after a while i noticed that i was kind of leaning into this you know mm. it was like i had to have it every night it wasn't like an addiction but it was like it was a habit and i was leaning on that habit and i thought oh this is something that really calls for attention so in those kind of situations yeah i definitely we still we all, even if we've been meditating for 30 years 40 years 50 years we still have these brains that come down to us through millions of years of evolution that kind of set up these pattern patterns that if we do something often enough then they will become mm. a bit so the great thing about mindfulness is it's not about being perfect. It's just about paying attention. And when we pay attention to things that, oh, I'm doing this, I'm getting angry with my partner these days, what's going on here? I can shine the light on that and I can make other choices. I, okay, what is my intention? What is my best intention in my relationship with my partner or my spouse? Mm. What am I wanting to do here? I'm getting angry with her or with him. And... And I don't really want to. I want to have a healthy relationship. I want to have a good relationship, a caring, loving relationship. And yet this is getting in the way. What can I do to really put the spotlight on this and say, okay. I, and coming back to intention is really, really important because it really hangs on intention. In a relationship, for example, you know, we can have all sorts of good rules and for behaving towards each other, but it has to be grounded in, 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 in commitment, in caring, and in our intention towards, you know, towards each other. And so I think it really is important to keep coming back to intention. You know, what is my intention here? Yeah, well, I, I like, actually, I like in, in what you talked about with the Ben and Jerry's and the uh, dog's brain. Dogfish chicken, head. Chicken foot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is the attention aspect of it because if you're if you're not mindful if you're not living a mindfulness practice 
then you're not going to stumble across the fact that you have that that is starting to be something of concern. Good example of mine is never drunk coffee in my life ever. And, and I would say in the last uh, two, three years, I've been working in Starbucks a lot and I started to have some coffee. But then I started to realize that outside of Starbucks, my brain was telling me that I needed to go and have a coffee. So then I changed it to decaf because I thought it was the caffeinate, the caffeine, right? And now I'm still having the same kind of thoughts. Now, I know there are some elements of caffeine in, but, but it bothers me. And the reason it bothers me is because suddenly it's, it, I don't feel like I'm in complete control. So I'm, I'm never in the day thinking to myself, oh man, I really must go and have a, a glass yeah. of water. But to do that with coffee, I'm like, hang on a minute, I don't like this feeling. And that's because I'm, I'm mindful, right? So I, I, have a, I have a question. I was going to ask you, how do you cultivate a mindfulness process? But I'm going to put a little caveat in there, I guess. It's not a caveat, but I'm going to um, put a question in that question. For me, how I become mindful, I'm not mindful all the time by any stretch of imagination, is introspection. And this happened when I stopped drinking, is to constantly question and ask why I do things. So how important is introspection when it comes to mindfulness and how do you develop that practice? I think it's a great question. I think it, I think it really is all about introspection, about being kind of, it's, it's about um, checking in on our behavior, our feelings, of what we're experiencing. And even if we're not always putting it in terms of a question, you know, we're actually kind of, it, it's a kind of non-verbal inquiry of like, and it may be sometimes, okay, what am I aware of right now? Mm -hmm. I mean, the two basic kind of questions around mindfulness, if we're if we're practicing mindfulness in, in formal meditation, like we're sitting down for 15 minutes, maybe with our eyes closed and just being aware. It, the first question is, what am I aware of? What am I noticing? You know, and again, non-judging, just aware. What am, I, what am I aware of when I check in with my body, check mm -hmm. in with my emotions, check in with my thoughts? Just notice, what am I, what am I noticing? Oh, I'm tense, or I'm, I'm tired, or I'm restless, or whatever it might be. That's the first question. And the second is, can I be with this? Can I, can I say yes to this? Can I open to, can I allow this to be, to, you know, to come and go in its own time? So if I feel tension in, the, in my stomach, if I really be, bring my awareness to it, I let it come, let it go. And I'm not interfering with it in any way. I'm not trying to get rid of it. I'm not trying to hold on to it. I'm not judging it. I'm just noticing. And the more I can do that, then it can just come and go in its own time. And what will tend to happen is tension will, just in that process, tend to naturally become released. Unless there's something really strong you know, going on in our mind, keeping us pulled back into it. And then if that's the case, we just bring awareness to that. So just recognizing what's here allowing what's here to come and go and so that's a form of questioning of introspection i mean we're asked in we don't have to formally ask ourselves that quite those questions but sometimes it can be good to what am i aware of mm. and can i let this be can i say yes to to whatever is here right now um and then we can go a step further we can we can kind of more consciously inquire into okay what, what what's what's going on here if it feels like a stuck place within us for example you know say oh, okay let me really be what am i noticing here is it is it moving is it changing does it have a kind of shape or a color we could kind of bring does it is that is there something that this tense place within me is it looking for something is it wanting something from me you know it may be a a feeling of of, of hurt that's there that I'm kind of pushed off that I've defended myself from and the more I can kind of open to that in a in a kind and non-judging way the more I can come back into in a way it's kind of uh, the flow state that we were talking about before of like okay everything that's here can now come and go in its own time I can and I can respond appropriately to what's you know what's going on as we're talking right now I can notice what's going on in my body I can notice a little tension in my in my belly and you know a little tightness around the chest and I can the more I can pay attention to that I can still be talking to you 
and hopefully what I'm saying, you know, isn't, isn't kind of distorted in any way by, by that awareness. The great thing about awareness is, is it, you know, the more we consciously come back to it and practice just being present, the more we can <clears throat> hold a lot of things happening at the same time, you know, the body, the feelings, the emotions, the thoughts, the context, you know, I can look, be looking at your face. I can, you know, be just getting a sense of how we're connecting with each other. Mm. All of these things going on at the same time. I imagine that somebody who's playing high stakes poker is going to be kind of, you know, if they're going to be doing it as effectively as they can, they're going to be very much in that environment. They're not, I'm assuming they're not just going to be in their cards because they've, they've got to know what else is going on and what, you know, what's happened before and, you know, what's likely to happen next and all. So it's a, it's a kind of a, almost a gestalt, a kind of global consciousness mm. of the whole thing. And, and again, it's something that we develop and cultivate through practice. Mm. I don't, I don't play high stakes poker, obviously. I don't even play any poker anymore, but I obviously I played a lot of poker in my life. Um, and, and I watch a lot of high stakes poker players playing. And the way I, the way I see it and formulate in my ideas around how to excel and be the very best is it's almost like two aspects to it. There's one aspect, which I think world-class poker players are very good at. And that is when I'm at the table, when I'm at the table, and it's game on. It's like I flicked a switch. It's game yep. on. Yep. Now I'm mindful. I'm focused. I'm more likely to get into flow states. Um, the habits, the bad habits that I have, i.e. losing my emotional uh, equilibrium when uh, the hand doesn't go the way I'm supposed to, or I win a hand when I'm a favorite. When I'm, when I'm on the table, I'm on point, right? Um, but then there's this massive area of preparation leading up to that game time where mindfulness becomes really important. And what I, what I like is you talk about practice. So let's say you have a poker player who loses their shit very, very quickly. And we say to them, well, well, what you need to do is you need to learn to control your emotions when you lose your shit. Or someone drinks in, in the middle of a COVID-19 crisis because they're catastrophizing or they smoke or they take drugs. And we say to them, no, in that moment, you, you, you need to kind of like find mindfulness. Actually, it's the practice outside of those moments that, that, that where they don't have that threat of emotional tilt in poker or the, the desire to drink, the stimulus and response uh, issue is, is not there. It's just like, okay, it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm not feeling like, like I'm going like to bring the house down or anything. Let's just practice feeling how I'm feeling right now. And if people do that often enough, then they will be able to get those gains in those hotspot moments you know those uh, you know i you know cards that go, i'm going my way i just lost a hand boom you're more likely to be able to put it in a play right absolutely yeah yeah i mean it if you haven't done that what will happen i think naturally habitually almost inevitably is that under pressure you'll go to those habits and those coping mechanisms, if you like, you know, could be getting angry, could be taking drink or drug, having drink or drugs. Um, the, that's where the mind will tend to default to. Mm. So obviously you can't leave in just in, in life. You can't just say, okay, um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be aware of at the, in those moments when, you know, when the proverbial, you know, what hits the fan you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be ready for that. If you, if you're not being present, if you're not present in the other parts of your life, you know, good luck in doing it at those times, you know, um, that we need to, we need to, we need to practice, we need to develop the habit. And I think ha meditation and mindfulness are habits. Mm. They're the beneficial habits that help i call them bedrock habits because they affect so many other things in our lives if you're if you're practicing mindfulness if you're cultivating this quality of of present moment awareness you know if you before you go to work in the morning when we went to work or started work we, <laughs> if you practice for you know 20 30 minutes 
Um, after a while, not the first day, maybe not even much in the first week or two, but after a while, what, what, what you'll tend to see happen is things starting to shift. Mm. Uh, particularly if you, if you bring this, the practice as fully as you can into your daily lives, even moment to moment, you're not going to, as you said earlier, you're not going to be fully present all the time through the day, at least unless you've, you may be the Dalai Lama, you practice for, you know, 60, 70 years or something, or other, others like that. But for most of us, it's like we're, we're still, it's still a work in progress. But if we're bringing awareness in different areas, just maybe just taking some time, you know, going for a walk, but making it a mindful walk, taking the time between, you know, your house and your car or the station and, and trying to be as present as you can, listening to the sounds around, around you, feeling what's, feeling your body as you're walking, feeling the air on your skin, the warmth of the air. All of those, the more we can do that, the more, as we were saying before, the more likely you are to be able to access that quality of presence when something, you know, maybe comes out of the blue. You know, we get an angry, you know, or what feels like an angry or judgmental email from our boss or a colleague at work or something like that. And we go into the kind of stimulus response. Mm. If, if, we're, if, we've, if we've cultivated this quality of, of awareness then this is how we how we more naturally meet the you know the different moments of our day including the most you know the triggering moments and we're less likely to default to you know the stimulus response that i'm feeling this anxiety let me have whatever my crutch is in this situation you know yeah. we're we're more able to find that space between stimulus and response. when i when i first got into poker what i saw uh, in, in the professional ranks that i was uh, privy privy to like a, an inside view is that they would work really hard at playing so they played a lot of hours so they're playing 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 and they would work hard technically on the game through study but nowhere near as much time put in as playing. <clears throat> and then when they weren't playing, hedonistic lifestyle, just going out, smashing it, drugs, drinking, whatever, right? What is happening now at the world-class level is there is time playing, but now there's much more time studying technical and, and uh, solvers and more ingenious ways of learning. But there's also this mindfulness practice. There's this understanding that, that my body and my mind Mm. needs to be sharp and I need to be composed and I need to have all my Lego bricks in order in life. And some poker players who are not doing that, when they sit down and play with these players on a consistent basis, they will find that they're losing because the, they've lost that edge. They, 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 the other people have excelled. So <clears throat> in a way it's good because other people are asking themselves, well, what is he doing that I'm not doing? Or what is she doing that I'm not doing? Yeah. And then through podcasts like this and interviews with professional poker players, more and more people I, I go, okay, I'm going to give this mindfulness a shot. I'm going <laughs> to give this meditation a shot. Well, I do, well, I want to ask you, I do, I do like this one. What, what's going on when people say, <clears throat> well, I can't, I can't meditate. Because like to me, well, what's a big deal? You know, like close your eyes and your thoughts come, they're going to come, you can't stop them. And, you know, just... You know, okay, I'm making it like sound a little bit simpler, but what's going on when people say they can't meditate? Is that resistance? Yeah, I mean, it's a form of resistance. What I think of it as is, is it's a habit. You know, it's it's a habit of thinking, um, you know, thinking in a certain way about, you know, oneself and one's own capacity. So, you know, it's, Probably that person who thinks I can't meditate probably has habits of, you know, can't do in other areas. Maybe they think they can do things well in a kind of physical way or something else, but not in this way. So there's some, in a way, there's some narrative in the mind. There's a story in the mind of I can't do this. I would say that the only obstacle to being able to meditate assuming a certain kind of certain base level of you know of, of ability of of, of kind of self-awareness 
um, is um, is to is to pay attention. The, the the key thing is to pay attention and to if you if somebody can pay attention in the way that we talked about without judgment to their to their ex experience you know they can see that the the thought of i can't do this is just one more thing to be aware of you know but when we think that I can't do this, then yes, that does become a, it comes a self-fulfilling prophecy. prophecy. We can't do it because we think we can't do it. But I would say to that person, well, just how about do this for, you know, X period of time. It needs to be long enough, you know, let's say a week or a couple of weeks without setting yourself some, you know, ex, you know, far off goal, just practice for 15 minutes a day or 10 minutes a day even. And all you have to do, you know, to start with is just be aware of whatever's present. You know, it's helpful to sit in a way that's comfortable, you know, not be tensed up, etc. All those things can be good, you know, begin a meditation by, you know, closing your eyes. For most people, not everybody, but that's fine. Just whatever, you know, allows you to be to be here in a in a kind and non-judging way and just be aware of your experience now all sorts of things will come up and see if you can just be aware of them rather than getting kind of oh i've got to get rid of this because it doesn't feel pleasant notice oh okay for this period of time i'm gonna conscientiously diligently just be aware of what's what I'm experiencing in the ways that we've talked about, kindly, with acceptance, and, and then see what happens. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody is serious and, and, and willing to make an effort, even for a relatively short period of time, that they'll see certain things. One of the things they may see is that what their belief is a story. It's a mm. mental story that prob that very likely is habitual. You know, it's it's come up in some way before, not necessarily around meditation, maybe around meditation, maybe around other things, but it's a pattern of thinking that the person is identifying with. They're taking it as true without actually testing it. So I'd say if anyone gives it a real test in this kind, non-judging way that we're talking about, I think, um, I think almost anybody can meditate and it doesn't have to be sitting with your eyes closed. You know, you can practice mindfulness in other ways as well. You know, formal meditation, you know, if there's a lot of agitation in the body, then in that situation, you know, let's say there's trauma, you know, that, that hasn't been really examined, then yes, that may be an obstacle that may make it hard to meditate. And then that says, you know, it may be helpful to have some other, you know, other support, you know, going in, going, seeing a therapist and trying to kind of untangle, you know, where that's come from and how it's manifesting and, and kind of finding freedom from that. Meditation can be a way of doing that, an important part of that, but it tends not to be the place to start with trauma you know, you need some other, you need to be really sensitive to those because they are such very, very strong, powerful feelings that are, that tend to kind of hijack the mind because of, that's another conversation. So those situations, I, I want to make note of those where they may, may need some other support. Maybe some, you know, people in recovery having the support of a 12-step program, you know, or some other kinds of support. Maybe you know, the thing that needed to find enough balance to be able to, to, to open to these things that are coming up. So putting that as a kind of, you know, aside and important, important things to bear in mind, in general, you know, just see what it's like. Yeah. Put some faith, put some faith, put some faith in it. Instead of, you know, instead of putting a faith in, I can't do it, put a faith in. Well, I'm going exactly. to, I'm going to give this a go. Um, exactly. I've really enjoyed our time together. I'm very aware uh, that we're coming up to our time. So you got flash your book, flash your book, uh, your new book for people. Yep. So there you are, the habit swap. swap. 
trade in your unhealthy habits for mindful ones. So that's that's available now, right? Yeah, it came out uh, 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 April first, so three days ago or whatever it is, two days ago. Yeah. Cool. So All right. hot off the press. Hot off the press. Get Amazon and uh, get the book and learn more about Hugh's work. You can also uh, get to his website, which is Hugh Burn. Hugh Dash Burn B Y R N E. Dot com. Dot com. And you can check out more about him and uh, yeah, also read his uh, first book as well, The Here and Now Habit, which I think is absolutely amazing uh, book. Good. I've got to run. I've got to get my kid ready for uh, online school because the whole world's changing, Hugh, but me and you will connect yeah. again, yeah? It's, it's really great talking with you, Lee, and, and I hope this has been helpful to, you know, for, for us and for others as well. Yeah, it will be. Have Thank a great much. day. Uh,